Tonight, God's Word comes to us from the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1. We're actually going to begin our reading at the end of 1 Kings. We're going to pick up at verse 51 of the last chapter of 1 Kings as that sets up the story in 2 Kings and then reading all the verses of that chapter. So beginning at the end of 1 Kings, chapter 22, at verse 51. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baals above the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king, the, the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again the king sent to him another captain of fifty men with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up 
and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties, but now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are one sermon away from being finished with this sermon series. I believe that this is sermon 15 uh, on Elijah. We will look once more uh, next week uh, to finish up the Elijah cycle. But tonight, we come to this strange story in 2 Kings chapter 1. And I have to confess, I'm not sure I knew this story was in the Bible. You know, I've read the Bible through several times, but I did not remember this story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven on these two different parties of 50. We see that this is, in many ways, another one of Elijah's mountaintop experiences. So much of his ministry, we've read, is done on the mountains. Here he is up on a hill when these events take place. We have seen the fire of God come down before, uh, we saw that in the Mount Carmel contest, another mountaintop experience. And as it was there, so we see here that theme that, that God allows no challenges to his authority. He is not at the king's beck and call, but the king must listen to him. And we, have see, we will see once again tonight that same theme we have seen throughout the Elijah cycle. The word of the Lord is true in the mouth of the prophet. The players are a bit different than the Mount Carmel incident, the, the situation a little bit different, but it's a reminder. People may change, situations may change, times may change, but the word of God never changes. God is always faithful to who he is. We read that Ahaziah, son of Ahab, uh, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. He is Ahab's son. You recall, I think it was last time we talked about this, Ahab was killed in battle. There was that random arrow that was, uh, that was uh, shot, and it hit Ahab, and the dogs licked his blood according to the word of the Lord. Now, his son, Ahaziah takes over. And unfortunately, like father, like son. Look what our text says in verse 52 of chapter 22. 
He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. He was just like them. Verse 53, he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. He looks like his father. He follows in the sins of his father, and the text is explicit, in the sins of his mother. Ahab and Jezebel raised this wicked king, Ahaziah. And right away, the text confronts us. Children tend to look like their parents. They look that way sometimes physically. They will also look that way many times spiritually. When, when parents, by the grace of God, walk in the paths of obedience and faithfulness, children see that. And they see that, that, that the commitment to following God and by His grace following His leading is a blessing. When parents choose the path of faithlessness, choose the path of disobedience, our children see that as well. And that, that thought should in fear drive us to our knees. Because as parents, we know we are fallen. We know we are sinful. We know we do not always make those choices God would have us make. And our children see that. And it influences their spiritual life. We must be so consistent in prayer for our children that they grow, maybe we'd even say, in spite of who we are. Now, God does use parents to guide and direct children. But we are still fallen, and we will still make mistakes. We must pray that our children have a great zeal and devotion and desire to serve after God. If it was the case that our children grew up to have the same zeal that we have for the Lord, would we be satisfied for them? If it was the case, our children grew up to have the same level of devotion that we have for the Lord. Would we be pleased with that walk with the Lord? Children model themselves after their parents, after their teachers, after the elders and the ministers. We must be so careful not to, by our choices, put a stumbling block in front of our children, but pray daily for God's grace for them, for God's grace for us as parents, as teachers, as leaders, that we can do all we can to help our children to grow in the ways of righteousness, to grow in the ways of the Lord. Ahaziah was a son of his parents, and we read in verse 2 of chapter 1, Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. 
And so he says to some messengers, go inquire of Baal Zabab, this god of Ekron, whether I'll recover from this sickness or not. He doesn't bother looking to the God of Israel, just like his parents would not have any concern for the God of Israel. No, instead he's going to go to Ekron, outside of the people of Israel, and look for the God down there and see what, what he might say about whether he'll recover or not. But God will not be mocked. God will not have the king of his people consult a foreign god as to his destiny. And so for one last time, he calls Elijah into service. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baals above the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. Again, Elijah goes where God tells him. Elijah lives and dies by the word of the Lord. The king wants an answer. Will I live or not? And Elijah is sent to give the messengers the answer, you will not live, you will surely die. And so those messengers return. They go back to the king, and the king is surprised how quickly they are back, because obviously they did not have to go all the way down to Ekron. And so the king says to them, uh, why have you returned so quickly? And they said, there came a man to meet us. And he said to us, go back to the king who sent you, say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're inquiring the God of, of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, you shall surely die. They give the king the answer. He was looking for an answer, they give an answer. The king says, what kind of man was it who came to meet you? And they describe him. He wore a garment of hair, and a belt of leather around his waist. That was the typical garb of a prophet. And the king says, it was Elijah. I am sure as he grew up, he heard stories of Elijah, this troubler of Israel, this thorn in the side of both of his parents. And now, now the word of God comes to him again, and it is through that same prophet, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Like father, like son. And now Elijah comes to bring the word of God to the son. You will surely die. The king doesn't like that message. The king doesn't like the answer that he got. So his idea is, I will summon Elijah to me, and perhaps he's thinking, maybe we can work something out. Maybe there's some other option rather than just death. And so we have this story of the king sending out these, uh, these troops to give his summons. The king sent out a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went to Elijah, who's sitting on the hilltop, and they say, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. 
unbelievable. Striking to our modern sensitivities. Is, is Elijah just put out that he's called back into service? Is that why the fire falls down from heaven? We have to remind ourselves, what is going on here? God sent the prophet to give the word to the king. And now the king thinks, well, you know what? I don't like that, so I'm going to summon God. I'm calling the man of God through whom God speaks. I'm summoning God to come into my chambers, and God will not be treated that way. God will not be summoned in that way. Again in verse 11. Again, a second captain of 50 and 50 were sent out, and this time even more arrogant. Oh, man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. The king doesn't learn his lesson. But once again, he sends a captain of 50, and the fire comes down and consumes them. God does not live at the beck and call of the king. But the king is called to serve God. We have seen the fire of God come down before. We saw that on Mount Carmel. This is a little bit different. The fire on Mount Carmel was a fire of revelation. Remember the story. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And everything takes place, and the fire comes down from heaven, and the people say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It was a fire that revealed who the true God was. This is not so much a fire of revelation as it is a fire of judgment for those who refuse to acknowledge God's true place. For those who think that God is at their beck and call, God will come with the judgment from heaven. Now, if you talk about this text with friends, uh, the most common thing you will hear, the most common thing you will hear is, but that's the God of the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament God. He was an angry God. He was a wrathful God. He sent fire down when it suited his purposes. We serve a New Testament God, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. And in doing so, we water down God's justice. Yes, he is loving and merciful and gracious, but he is still a God of justice and righteousness and still a God who punishes. Whenever people tell me that the, the fire-ascending God is a, an Old Testament God, I love to take them to Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament. And the last verse of Hebrews chapter 12, as it talks about how are we to approach God, it reminds us our God is a consuming fire. Not that he was, not that he used to be. The New Testament God is a consuming fire. He is not at the beck and call of his people. How do we, how do we view God? 
Is he someone who is there kind of existing in the background and we're fine being aware of him? And perhaps when things start to go badly for us, now we call on God. As if, as if he is beholden to us in some way. As if he exists to serve us. When the truth is we exist to serve him. He is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness. Are we casual in our relationship with God and only calling upon him when it's a time of difficulty, when we fall through the lattice work and wonder if we're going to live or going to die? That is to treat God with contempt as if he's at our beck and call rather than the other way around. Finally, this, this third captain of 50 comes. I always feel sorry for this guy. <laughs> you know, he, he's seen what's happened to the first two. Again, the king sent a captain of 50 and his 50. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. Oh, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. This man comes not saying, the king calls you. Not saying, the king calls you, come quickly. This man comes humbling himself, recognizing the power of the God to whom he is coming. And we read in verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Why does Elijah go with this man? because the angel of the Lord tells him. It is not even so much that this man came in humility, but Elijah lives and dies by the word of the Lord. And when the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him to go, then he goes. When God gives a command, his prophet obeys. And so Elijah, called into this final service, goes to the king with this divine message. Verse 16, he went to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal's above the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He comes with the, uh, with the uh, challenge to the king. Why, why, is, why are you going to die? Because you have not trusted the God of Israel. Because you've sent a messenger to a false God, to another country. And it's not like there isn't a prophet of God in Israel. I'm right here. He refused to honor the authority of God. And so he is sentenced. He is sentenced by God. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die and that sentence is carried out. The very next thing we read, so he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. 
The word of the Lord is true. The word of the Lord is true in blessing. When God comes and promises to bless his people, we can be sure of that. The word of the Lord is true. The word of the Lord is also true in judgment. When God says that he is a God who will not be trifled with, when he is a God who is holy and righteous, a God who is high and lifted up, and those who who refuse to acknowledge that will be judged, will be punished, the word of the Lord is true. When we come to God and perhaps try everything else in the world first to fix our own problems, we marginalize who we think God is. We think either he's too busy to help us or he cannot help us. I'll take care of myself. I'll fix my own problems. And we place ourselves in fear of God's judgment. Or when, or when we come to God and we tell him what to do. I've got a problem. God, this is how I need you to fix it. God, I need you to do this for me. We marginalize God's wisdom, God's authority, failing to recognize him as the perfect king over all of his people who does everything well. And we place ourselves in, in, uh, in jeopardy of judgment. The word of the Lord said, you shall surely die, and he died according to the word of the Lord. I said it, it's a text I don't think I remember from Scripture. It's a text that is a severe warning to us. A warning and a reminder that God still is a holy God and a righteous God, and he is a God who will not tolerate sin, who will not tolerate a refusal to recognize his majesty and his glory. When we refuse to honor him, when we refuse to recognize who he is, the God of the heavens and the earth, we place ourselves in danger of judgment because his word is true. If we persistently, deliberately refuse to give God the glory that he deserves, God's word will be carried out. He is not a God who will take second place to anything. If he is, a, if he is second place in our lives, we fear these words, you will surely die. A frightening text, a frightening message, because God is faithful to his word of judgment. But we quickly remind ourselves, God is also faithful to his word of grace. To all who would humble themselves before this God, to all who recognize his glory and his majesty and say, I come humbly before you, God. I come acknowledging my sin. I come knowing I, I cannot approach you on my own. For those who come and look not to themselves, but look to Jesus Christ, oh, God's word of grace and mercy is true. A promise to all who would come to him in Jesus' name that they will not be cast out, but they will be received by the Father. That's the call of the gospel again tonight. Don't, don't live on your own. Don't anger this God. Don't marginalize him. Don't put him at your beck and call. But humble yourself before him. Recognize his majesty. Recognize his glory. And know the word of grace. 
that for all who embrace his son, Jesus Christ, they are now made children of God. Ahaziah looked like his father, Ahab. Too often, we look like our father, Adam, one who thought he knew better than God, one who thought he could go and do his own thing. But by God's grace, we begin to look like the second Adam, Jesus Christ. We recognize what he has done for us, perfectly obeying God, perfectly righteous in all that he did, and granting and crediting that to us. We begin to look like his Father, our Father in heaven, as we've been made sons and daughters of that great King. What a joy it is to know a God who is faithful to his word. The word of the Lord is true. Yes, it is true in judgment, but oh, it is also true in mercy. And that is our comfort, and that is our strength. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for your word, a word that is right, a word that is true, a word to which you are faithful. Yes, Lord God, we acknowledge you have given warning after warning after warning of those who would marginalize you, of those who would think that you serve them better than the other way around. Lord God, if we've been guilty of that, forgive us tonight. If we've been guilty of, of seeing you as someone who is to come to us, forgive us. May we truly recognize your majesty, your glory, and your greatness, and may you be faithful to your word of promise that for all who humble themselves, for all who repent, for all who embrace Jesus Christ, we are made your children. Lord God, bless us with that glorious word, with that glorious truth. May we leave assured and comforted because your word is always true. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.